The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. My name's Doug, and I'm here in lieu, in place of Danny Ramos, Pastor Danny Ramos. He'll be back next week. But if you want to see him, he'll be here tomorrow at the baptism. He got a new surfboard, and I'm told he's going to be shredding tomorrow. So for those of you surfers, go join Danny tomorrow, La Jolla Shores. Lifeguard, these guys are going, no way. I'm, yeah, I'm joking. Lifeguard Tower number 32 will have baptism tomorrow, okay? If you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Tonight we're going to talk about suffering. Suffering has a purpose in our lives. And uh, I'm going to try to explore that. I'm reading a new book, The Beatles, The Bible, and Bodega Bay. Anybody heard of this, Bible, this book yet? Anybody out here? No? It's by Ken Mansfield. Ken Mansfield was the uh, business manager for the Beatles in the United States. He worked for Capitol Records, and he... Everything the Beatles had business-wise, stateside, was Ken Mansfield. Ken Mansfield came to know the Lord, and he's written this book, and it's pretty interesting. And in this book, he tells all kinds of stories, but I want to read one story for you that I think will set the tone for us tonight. He says, I never cried when my dad passed away. I kept thinking I would, but now I can't stop crying for Matt. I'm shedding tears for this father as a symbol of all fathers when I think about those three young children, what they have lost. I fall to my knees at the water's edge and I lift my swollen eyes to the heavens above and I pray, and he wrote down his prayer and it went like this. I've been staring for it at the water for hours and waiting. As the ripples wash up on the sand, I want to rush in and have this whole thing healed, to have everyone's pain go away. But I stand transfixed, unable to move in any direction, mentally, physically, or spiritually. I refuse to ask God why these things happen He is God. We got that straight a long time ago. So I've learned to ask him what and how instead. What am I to learn from this experience? What can I do that would be in line with his wishes and purposes? How can I bear a godly witness in a situation like this, especially when all unbelievers have a field day as we quote-unquote crazy Christians try to explain this one away? How can I minister to those in need? How can I glorify God in this situation and in every situation of my life? Would you please pray with me? Father, we've just read a story of a man who lost a friend who was a father of three young children and one on the way. And he's standing at the ocean 
asking you what he's supposed to do. And each person in this room tonight has either been there or had a friend that was there. And we've come to you and we've said, what are we supposed to do? We've been transfixed. We've searched for answers. We've wanted to have words to quote unquote fix it. And so tonight, Lord, help us understand that you're never away from us, that you're always there in the midst of every dark situation and in the midst of every fun thing, you are there. And so, Father, we come to you tonight asking for instruction. How are we to deal with our suffering and those we love? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I challenge people, we do growth track, and I challenge people, and I've yet to get anybody to accept my challenge, so I'm challenging you tonight. Ready for this challenge? If you do this, I will give you $1,500. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I am challenging, here's my challenge. When you come to church, not tonight, because you guys will, you know, but when you're in church, and as you're leaving the sanctuary, look for that person, that Bodego Bay person, if you will, that's just sitting there. The church, the service is over, people have left, and there's always a person in every service that's just sitting there, and you can spot them. And I'm asking you, again, not tonight, but the next time you're at church, Find that person, walk up, sit down, introduce yourself, say, hey, I'm Danny Ramos. Can I pray for you? And you know what I'm talking about. You can see the person, those kind of people that the service is over, but they're, they're, still, under, they're still suffering. We have a greeter ministry, and our goal for the greeter ministry is that we wouldn't need greeters anymore that our body, that our community here at Maranatha would be so concerned about people, they'd walk up, hi, my name is, I haven't seen you before, what's your name? But especially for the, the bodega people, the bay people that are just transfixed because they've lost something or someone, or maybe it's not nothing at all, maybe it's just a school test. We need each other. And people suffer. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is this megaphone to rouse the deaf world, rather his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. The Apostle Paul said, but we also glory in our sufferings. And let's just define sufferings for a second. Sufferings are just, they can be really difficult, terrible things, or they can just be things that are uncomfortable. God allows things into your life and mine to mold and to shape us in our sanctification. So what is one person's suffering may not be another person's suffering. Like, they only serve Diet Pepsi. But anyway, moving along. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that our suffering that produces perseverance, perseverance character, 
and character hope. Paul is saying we, we receive, we accept these sufferings, these things that are uncomfortable, these tragedies, if you will. We accept these because God is working in our life. He's molding us. He's shaping us. What? To be conformed to his image. Now, there's reasons for suffering. One of them is God. God will allow suffering into your life. Second, we live in a broken world. This world is broken. So because it's broken, there are going to be things that happen to you and I just because the world is broken. Consequences of sin. I was having dinner with my kids the other night, and my granddaughter, who's four, she was getting ready to suffer the consequences of sin. And she was fleeing her father. And she was, she was doing pretty good so for, for a little bit. She was dodging him. And then she ran underneath the dining, we're having dinner, she ran underneath the table and she grabbed my leg and I wanted to protect her, I really did. But she had to suffer the consequences of sin, unfortunately. And when her dad carried her way over his shoulder, she kind of looked at me like, thanks a lot. Lastly, we suffer sometimes because of dumb decisions. Dumb decisions. In our text here, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter identifies suffering as a fiery trial. Pastor Ray used to tell the story about the, the silversmith all the time. And there's a story about a silversmith and a guy was going through the silversmith's studio looking around and he asked the silversmith, what is this? You know, and it was a crucible. What's a crucible? Well, it's where we heat up the silver to prepare it. And he says, you heat it up? He says, yeah. And he says, then we scrape off the dross. We heat it up again and we scrape it off until it's ready. And the man said, well, how do you know when it's ready? And he said, when you can see your face in it, it's ready. And that's suffering, a form of suffering, fiery trial. Suffering, it separates the things that have attached to your soul and mind, the things that we've allowed it perhaps, or things we don't even know, but they need to be gone. You know, in our life, we get mixed up in just everyday life. Things happen to us, and we don't always, we're not always aware that things have attached to us that shouldn't be. Sometimes our faith in Christ is compromised because we have faith in other things. We have allegiances to Christ still, but there's allegiance in other things that is, are gaining ground. Sometimes these things can exist for years, for years. And God will allow suffering in your life and mine for us to purge those things. Fiery trial, he says. When the fiery trial comes to you and I, though, unlike the silversmith, to look in and to see our face, we want to look in that suffering and we want to see Jesus' face. We want to base our walk upon Jesus. And I want to ask you a question. Could it be tonight some of you are going through suffering? And God wants that suffering to cause you to see his face. To cause you to stop 
and consider him. Now, I know, I realize I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd. You're the most holiest people in the whole church, so I, I got to go easy on you guys. If this was first service, we could beat the first service up, but... So how does this work? How does this purifying fire, how does this work? Years ago, years ago, I was a new Christian, and we would go to Hollywood to go witness in Hollywood, pass out tracts and everything, and there was a ministry there in Hollywood. It had a big sign on the window, and it read, the Holy Ghost Repair Service. I love that, the Holy Ghost Repair Service. When you take your car to get fixed, what's wrong with it? I don't, it's making a noise. What's the mechanic? He'll ask you all these questions. I don't know. Did you change the oil? No, but it's making a noise. Anyway, he asks you all these questions, and you're not sure, but it's just not working. When you and I, if I can use this term, need fixing, when you and I need correction, we don't have to go very far because God knows. Psalm 69 verse 5 says, Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. So this purifying does a couple of things. First of all, it will expose what we're trusting in. It will expose things that you and I trust in that we shouldn't trust in. Everybody starts off the Christian life loving God, new Bible, bumper stickers, T-shirt, right? We... It's great. The mornings are great. The afternoons are great. We're leading everybody to the Lord. But little by little, sometimes, nobody on Wednesday night, but first service people, they start making compromises. And over time, there are things that you and I start to trust in other than the Lord. We have sometimes hidden allegiances that we don't even know about, or sometimes we know about them. We allow them to creep into our life. Sometimes we're asked to compromise. We don't even realize how far off the reservation we are until we need to take a stand. Maybe it's at our job. Maybe it's within our family. And we're asked to do something that just goes against our beliefs. And in taking a stand, it's going to cost us something. It possibly will cost us our job. We've been hearing a lot about that in the paper now. Christians are beginning to lose their job for taking certain stands. Maybe it'll just cost us relationships where once we were considered, hey, we let him being around or her being around, but now, no, because they, they're not like us. They've, they're different now. And we go home and we think about it and we realize we've compromised so much that we were, at one point, we were okay and they were okay with us and we're, we've compromised. We need fire to change us. Secondly, fire will show us the worthlessness of the things that we have been trusting in. These things that have become important to us, the testing of fire, suffering, will show us that they're worthless. Proverbs 17.3 says, the crucibles for silver, the furnaces for gold, and the Lord test the hearts. He tests our hearts and exposes things that we didn't even know were there. 
Proverbs 25, 4, take away the dross from the silver and the smith has material for a vessel. The point is there are things that we can allow into our lives that we begin to trust become very important to us, more important than our relationship with God. And in God's mercy and his love for us, he allows suffering into our life to expose these things. False trust. Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm 146.3. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. And you guys know this verse, Luke 12, 19 and 20, the story of the man who built the barns and I'm all set. He trusted in himself and it says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This man, he just, you know the story, right? He had all of his stuff in barns and 401ks. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Things he was trusting in. Are you trusting tonight in worthless things, things that are really important to you that really, in the big picture scheme of things, aren't worth anything? What are you holding on to? How long are you going to hold on to it for? Midlife? Uh, when I get to a certain age, I will, I will get this out of my life. Or maybe when you're bedridden. In God's mercy, he'll allow suffering into our life to reveal these things so that we can get rid of them, we can purge them from our lives before it's too late. Third, the refining fire of suffering shows God's work in your life. You know, we've seen, most of us, I'm sure, have seen the, the guy that does the, the vineyard, the wine the vine dresser, I'm thinking of wine, the vine dresser, and there's all kinds of grapes, and it's really, it looks really good, right, to the untrained eye, but the vine dresser comes along and starts cutting away and cutting away, and when he's done, it looks like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. There's nothing there. There's just a stick, maybe. But now, it's ready to produce more fruit. David would say, Lord, search me. Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And it's the bravest prayer in the Bible. Go before the Lord and say, take it away. What's in my life that needs to go? That I can be more fruitful for you. And they take those branches, by the way, those branches that are cut from the vineyard or from the, the grape plant, they take them and they burn them in a fire. And so tonight maybe you're saying, well, is that what God's going to do to me? Is that, that's uncomfortable. I don't like that. Perhaps, maybe. Maybe you'll be gentle. Maybe it's not that dramatic. I don't know. But, but be willing to have him do it. Peter gives some instructions on how to suffer. He says, first, do not be surprised. Verse 12, do not be surprised. Don't be shocked that trouble has come to your house. Verse 13, 
But he doesn't say don't grieve. We can grieve, but he says don't be surprised. He says rejoice, as a matter of fact. Rejoice. After the cross of Christ came the crown. We can rejoice in Christ the same way, but grieve deeply. You can be going through suffering. This is difficult. This is hard. But grieve as well. If we don't, if we're surprised by suffering, the next thing that happens, though, we can become bitter, potentially. It's not fair. This shouldn't be happening. How could this happen to me? Why? This is affecting my plans. There's a book, I'm, another book I'm reading by Laura Story. You guys know Laura Story? Hands? Singer? Songwriter? Fat, I didn't know her story. <laughs> she, uh, her and her husband Martin lived, I think, North Carolina, South Carolina, somewhere. And she was playing bass in a band on Thursday nights. And she says... It happened to be a Mexican restaurant. So on Thursday nights, she's playing bass in a band, and she's writing songs, and her, son, her husband, Martin, was a college, a campus pastor. He's a campus pastor. She's a bass player. And she got a call. Somebody wanted to buy one of her songs, and she said, sure. And she sold the song for, for nothing, really. And she's driving in the car a few months later with her husband, and she hears Chris Tomlin singing Indescribable, her song. And she laughed and she said, how many people know that a skinny blonde girl playing bass in a Mexican restaurant on Thursday nights is the writer of that song? But here's a story. They got hired to go to, to um, Savannah, Georgia to be in a church. And she was offered this job to be the worship leader. She'd never been a worship leader in her life. She played bass, like I said. And her husband was going to go to school in an art school they have there in Savannah. But she started noticing that her husband, something wasn't right with her husband. He kept forgetting things. He was getting angry. He was falling asleep. And it was getting more and more pronounced. So she called the pastor and she said, you know, I, I'm going to have to decline the job because... Something's wrong with Martin, my husband, and we're going to have to find out what it is. And the pastor said, Laura, we didn't hire you because we wanted you to be our worship leader. We hired you because we wanted you to be part of our family. Pack up your car, please leave tomorrow, and whatever Martin needs, we'll provide for him. So they did. They packed up the car and they went. And the first semester of Martin's school was great. He got straight A's. She was leading worship for the first time in her life. It came natural for her. Everything was great. But then second semester, Martin started missing classes. He forgot to wake up. He, he just he got worse and worse and worse. They were fighting with each other. She was mad at him because something was wrong with him. What's wrong with you? This is our chance, blah, blah, blah. Her dad was a cardiologist. He said, you know what? You need to take Martin to a doctor, see what's wrong. They took Martin to a doctor. Fast forward, Martin had a brain tumor. She was playing at another church in another city, and she got the call, and it was Martin on the phone. He says, I've got a brain tumor. They went to go see a doctor. The doctor said, hey, you know, 
It's malignant, but it's not a big deal. It's where it is. I can go up his nose and pull it out. He'll be in the hospital for a couple of days. He should be home by Saturday, out of work for a week. He can get back into school. Things will be fine. Three months later, they were still in the hospital. It didn't go as planned. It got worse and worse and worse. He got meningitis. They had to put more holes in his head. Eventually, he was able to talk to her, and he said to her, I know you. You're Laura's story. And she thought he was joking, because that's her maiden name. And she said, yeah, that's right. She said, and I'm also your wife. And he goes, get out of here. So after five months, they went home. And he thought she was his caregiver. So the first night they were home, he was already in bed, and she got into bed with him, and he got really upset. He says, Laura, 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 Laura. I appreciate that you're concerned for me, but this is inappropriate. And she says, what's inappropriate? He goes, we're not married. And I tell you that story because that's where she was working from. Her husband's mind, had, he had lost every, all memory. And for five years, it took him five years to put things back together. Five years. She said she was sitting in the hospital because he had to go back in the hospital frequently and they would do tests and more surgeries. And people would come and, and say, hey, here's a verse. I have a verse for you. And then they would sit down and open their Bible. And she said 45 minutes later, it wasn't a verse, it was a Bible study. She said, I would stare at him with a smile on my face, but inside I was just saying to myself, just get out, leave, go. You know when people, they, we want to help somebody, we give them a Bible verse, like, this is, this is going to fix it. It wasn't fixing it. She said the best word she could hear when she's in the hospital, all those days in the hospital was, Laura, here's a latte. Or somebody that would just sit with her and be present and not try to fix it. She says it's tempting to think what we do for God will bring favor of God. And she was in her mind talking to God and saying percentage-wise, I think Martin and I are in the top percentage, God. And because of that, why have you allowed this to come to our house? Why is he sick? Why can't I lead worship anymore? Are we ever going to have, they'd only been married, by the way, for a year and a half. Are we ever going to have a family? They had all, she said they would lay in bed and just talk about all these dreams they had. And now year one, year two, year three. Who are you again? He would say to her, who are you again? Year four. What's your name? And the surgeries that he would have, the doctors would repeatedly tell her, this one may kill him. He may die on this one. Then she said, the righteousness scale in the Bible says that no one but Jesus makes it to the top. But despite our lack of goodness, God is always good and is always good 
to us. And she kept telling herself that. Now listen, Jesus grieved. On the dust, kneeling in the dust, the night before he'd be crucified, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, he would say, to the point of death. Matthew 26, 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus wasn't surprised by it. He knew it was the Father's will. And you and I can't, should not be, I should say, we need to be careful not to be surprised when suffering comes to our house, comes into our lives. Don't be surprised by it. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him be not ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Peter knew something about this, didn't he? We know Peter's story. Peter was ashamed. He says, don't be ashamed. If suffering comes to you, don't be ashamed, especially if it's because you're taking a stand as a believer. In the last command, he says, obey. Verse 18, or the last, second part of verse 17 says, what will become be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Throughout Peter's epistles, he's constantly saying, obey. Walk in obedience. You know, one of the reasons he says, don't be surprised, because when people are surprised and think this shouldn't happen to them, we shouldn't be suffering like this, they're tempted to sin. They're tempted to think that God doesn't care, that this isn't right, and because of that, I'm going to, and you fill the blank in. It's easy when you're surprised by things, by suffering, it's easy to stop going to church. It's easy to stop praying. It's easy not to notice the person sitting next to you in the pew who is clearly going through something. It's easy to become self-centered and feel sorry for yourself when you're surprised. You choose not to obey the scriptures. You choose not to walk with the Lord. Verse 18, he says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's another phrase in the Bible that says, test to see if these things be so. Examine yourself, the scriptures say. 
sum this up, don't be surprised. When trouble comes your way, instead of saying, I, I, I call it getting off the merry-go-round. Take the floaties off. My granddaughter again, she likes the floaties and she stays wet, goes to the beach and she's 200 yards from the water. I got my floaties on. What am I saying? A lot of times as believers, we don't want to enter in. We don't want suffering, so we just, we're safe. We stay on the safe ground all the time. We don't want to do anything that possibly is going to bring suffering our way. So we just stay right in the middle. Does that make sense? We're just going to stay right in the middle. I'm not going to go over here. I'm, not going to, I'm just going to stay right here. I'm not going to take any chances. Because I don't want suffering to come my way. My wife will tell you, I don't like to watch any kind of movies that have a bad ending. I don't, why, why pay for trouble? I want to see happiness and laughter. I don't want to see trouble. But you know what? In life, we can't do that. Suffering comes our way. And it's what we do with it. Don't be surprised by it. Secondly, don't be ashamed. Take a stand for Christ. Don't be, a, not an annoying stand, but take a stand. I can't, I can't go there with you tonight. Why? I just can't. Why? Well, let me tell you what happened. Tell them your story. There was, a, there was a time in my life when I used to do those things. I don't anymore. I'm a believer. Christ saved me. You tell your story. And, and for me to do that, and though I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun, I would dishonor my father. My God, I just can't do that. Don't be ashamed. And lastly, obey. Obey, obey God. Be obedient to the Lord. Do what's right. Laura's book... These chapters, she has these headings for these chapters, and she, there's several. I'm just going to read a couple for you. She has myth and truth. Because in her suffering in the several years that her and her husband walked through this horrific story, he was learning to remember things again, but she was learning truths, godly truths that she knew were true, but she had to believe them. And she has been believing lies. Here's a couple. Myth. She would say myth and truth. Myth. Trials are a curse. Truth. Trials are an opportunity. Curse. Opportunity. Myth. The plan I have for my life is much better than the place where God has me right now. Again, the plan I have for my life is much better than the place where God has me right now. You ever feel that way? Nobody raised their hand. Here's the truth to that. 
where God has me right now is the best place for me. I know, I know people that are constantly waiting for the next thing. It's going to be better tomorrow or next year instead of living for today. There's a saying that one of the things that keeps Christians from stepping, making steps of faith is problems and possessions. When all these problems are gone, then I, I will take a step of faith. Or I've got to take care of and fill the blank in. Myth. The strength of my faith is based on how strongly I believe. Now think about this one. The strength of my faith is based on how strongly I believe. She talked about people telling her that if she disbelieved, that her husband would be, be fine. He might not know her name, but he'd be fine. Okay. Truth. The strength of my faith is based on the strength of my God. It's God's strength, not our. You know, you and I, we, we, we do need to believe and we do need to grow our faith. But God's faith is our strength. God is our strength. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now stop with this. I think too many of us as Christians are like Forrest Gump. We're sitting on the park bench waiting to go to heaven. We're just sitting on the stinking park bench. I accepted Christ. I go to church. I'm going to go to heaven now. The heaven bus is going to come by and pick me up someday. I'm going to go to heaven. You know anybody like that? And if you've heard me say this, I've said this a lot, so I'll say it again anyway. You need to take the field. And this is the best illustration I have. This is why I repeated it a lot. When I, when I was a kid, 100 years ago, Well, maybe 80 years ago. I played sports at the boys' club. And the boys' club where I went, they had a, a league of sports that you could play. And it was, it was for kids that didn't have anything. That's where I played sports. Well, I signed up for sports. So one day, you know, I'd have my uniforms. So I'd bring them home. And one day my mom said to me, hey, I just want to thank you. I go, for what? You know, she never said that. I go, for what? I was all proud. What, huh, Mom? She says, for taking such good care of your uniforms. I says, what do you mean by that? She goes, I never have to wash them. Well, she didn't have to wash them because I never played. I just set it on the bench. Here, here's my, here's my point. How many Christians do you know that don't play? They put their uniform on, they show up, but they just sit on the bench. 
Why? They don't want to suffer. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to be the fool, miss the ball on the court. It's better just to sit on the bench and play it safe than to get on the court and make a fool of yourself. John Piper has a book, Don't Waste Your Life. Back part of the book, he's, there's an article he ripped off of a Sunset magazine and he put it in the book and it was the reason for him writing the book. Story of a young couple that determined early in their life they were going to work really hard and retire early and live the good life. And they did. They worked really hard. They retired in the early 50s. And this article goes on to say they bought a, a trawler and they spend their days in the Gulf Coast of uh, uh, Florida going up and down the coast playing volleyball and collecting seashells. And he says, his, his comment is, is that how you want to meet the Lord? I spent the second half of my life in a trawler going up and down the Gulf Coast collecting seashells and playing volleyball. Or, he doesn't say, this is my addition, or do you want to go to heaven with bloody knuckles and a ripped uniform? Yeah, I missed a lot of passes, but I tried. I, pl- I was a foolish sometimes, but I kept going. And I kept going because when the dross was cleared away, I saw Jesus' face. And that's all that mattered to me. So the last question I have for us tonight is, who matters in your life and mine? Who are we living for? Are we on the bench waiting for the bus to come and pick us up? Or have we taken the field, not caring what anybody says, only the Lord? Tony Castellano grew up catty corner from me. Italian, any Italians here tonight? Okay, I'll go easy on you. Okay, no, kidding. I'm kidding. Italian family, and Italians kiss. I mean, kiss. And the men kiss the men, right? These Italians did anyway. I don't know about your Italian family. Is that, no? The guy's going, not my Italian family. <laughs> anyway, they, they were very affectionate, and there was Big Tony and Little Tony. Well, Little Tony was like six foot four, and Big Tony was five foot six, but he was Big Tony and his Little Tony. When Little Tony was a kid, They played football. Sport. He was very athletic, playing sports. And his grandfather, Big Tony III or something, anyway, he came to the field to see little Tony play. And little Tony knew that when his grandfather saw him, he was going to kiss him on the lips. And he was ashamed. He didn't want to kiss... He didn't want to see all his friends. He didn't want that to happen. So he hid behind the backstop. His dad talked to him about it. It It's pretty rough, talked to him, said you shouldn't do that. 
Several years later, big little Tony is a star football player at the high school. And his grandfather comes to the game and is way up in the stands, way up there. And little Tony sees his grandfather and he jumps the fence off the field, kisses his grandfather on the lips in front of everybody. And God says to you and I tonight, take the dross off that silver that's in our lives. Let him heat up all that's in us so that we're not surprised, that we're not ashamed, and that we obey. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, God, that you love us so much. You allow things into our lives to mold and to shape us and to draw you to yourself. And Father, you are amazing. You've created us, you know us, and we have this time in our lives, this side of eternity we have for you to mold and shape us. And we get to walk by faith and we get to take chances and we get to make mistakes, not for ourselves. But for you, we want to honor you. So thank you for that, Lord. Help us to endure suffering. Help us to be willing to take the field, to rip our uniforms for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Another song that Laura's story wrote that you're all, you're going to recognize if you don't know it, is Blessings. And she wrote this song, sitting in the hospital, thanking God for the struggle and for the suffering that she had gone through with her husband. I asked Kayla to sing it for us tonight. Thank you, Kayla. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, you love us way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if the healing comes through tears? And what if the
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.